This is the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy, independent commentary from a Silicon Valley, California perspective for a global audience, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 18, Episode 1, Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandrit, The Life of a Cheeky Faker, in conversation with author Clay Small and Jim Herlihy. Our guest today is Max Brandrit, an accomplished artist and self-described art forger. Author Clay Small and I are going to talk to Max about his recently published autobiography, recounting a fascinating life. Max joins us today from his home in Brighton, England. Hello, Max, and welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Hi. And joining us from his office in Dallas, Texas, is author Clay Small, whose recent novel, Forger's Forgery, also deals with the subject of art forgery. Good morning, Clay, and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to be with you, Jim. Terrific. Max, let's start with your biography. Tell us about your early years of being born in Brighton and your family and Dr. Bernardo's. Give us an overview of your early life. Okay, Jim. Well, I was born in Brighton, just a seaside town. I was born in a place called Buckingham Road near the station, and it was a basement flat. It was a one-bedroom basement flat that consisted of a front room, back bedroom, a kitchen, which we called scullery, um, a big vat for washing your clothes, outside loo, which incidentally you never stood long without outside loo, especially in the wintertime. And we had a mangle, and everybody had a mangle, and it was real poverty. There was my mum and my sister in the front room. Those three boys were in the back bedroom in a single bed, top to toe, and it was rough. It was cold. There was no central heating in those days, and the food was scarce. In fact, we spent many times going back to a workhouse called Warren Farm because mum was my mum had tuberculosis and uh, she was in and out of hospital so we kept going back to this workhouse and uh, staying there then we were brought back to home back to back to my mother but you know it was the dark days but it was happy it was a happy days they used to have a village shop oh incidentally my mother was from yorkshire like hello love cup of tea and a fag and she was loved by the whole street scrubbed her steps on the Sunday, even though it was a basement, and there were hardly any railings because it was taken down for the war effort. So, but it was a happy street. Mum would say to me when money was short, she'd go, here, love, uh, go to Mr. Peters and ask him for um, a loaf of bread, pint of milk and some margarine until Friday. And i go, yes, Mum, and off i go to Mr. <laughs> Peters. It was so happy, Jim. You know, we had good friends. We had, next door was a lady called um, Peggy Ridley. And she used to uh, come and meet my mum when I used to help my mum with the washing. Mm -hmm. And she was also from Gisborne, where mum was Yorkshire. So she'd come out and say, hello, doctor. And mum say, hello, yeah. Peggy. And she'd go, how's Arthur's legs? She'd go, oh, bloody playing up, oh, bloody last night. So, yeah. Max, tell us about Dr. Barnardo's, because you and your brother, Tony. Oh, sorry, am I running on? You're, mm. you're, you yeah. and your brother, Tony, were separated from your family. You went to Dr. Barnardo's. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that experience yeah. and explain what Dr. Well, Barnardo's was. Yeah, Dr. Barnardo's, well, we'd been, we're in the basement then we brought brought home and the welfare in those days jim they didn't you didn't have an option they used to just come and take you away and mr odin miss gibson said right 
we were in a, a Morris Minor van traveling up to a place called Barkinside. Now, Barkinside was one of the first Dr. Bernardo's. It was a village home. They had all the houses surrounded the, the village green. And I and I said they had their own hospital, they had their own clothing department, a chapel, and an infirmary. But the thing is, it was I wouldn't went to a cottage because I wet the bed. So and my brother was split for me. But it was it was tough. It was a really tough but it was happy. It was a happy time, you know. But, and that's where you were able to develop your skill as sketching oh, yeah. and painting. Tell us about that. Well, well, I'm just going to slip back to one. When I was in, uh, would live with my mother, we used to have a, an airing cupboard in the hallway. And I used to spend hours and hours drawing cartoons, Mickey Mouse, anything. And just instead of playing cowboys and Indians with my friends, I just loved painting. And Peggy Ridley was the first one to buy me some poster paints, some, some watercolors. And that's how I started. And then as soon as you get into Dr. Bernardo's and they can see you can paint and draw, that's they encourage it. They are wonderful wonderful people and i had quite a few we, we were moved from barkinside to what's neighbor training school about we know where it's all strict and it was run like a like a naval base you know and it, it, that's the one with the big ship's mast you know but it, i said i i it was it was a tough life so we went from there so we went we were fostered out to a place called barsham rectory which is very well known because nelson's mother was born there you know, the reverend mary suckling so we had two years with there. Then we moved to Goldings, right? Mm -hmm. That was the last place that um, we were. But I'm going to do one thing. I'd been there 11 years, and I'd never, I would hadn't seen my mum for about five, eight of those years. On the day I left, right, all the boys, there was great sort of friendship. And there was this lane called Bintry Lane. I must get this in. Bintry Lane was freedom. It was like escaping. It was like I'd been in a concentration camp. Uh -huh. That was then. They had a sack on my back. Mr. Nebel said, well, Max, you're going home now. I went, yes, sir. And then all the boys lined up and they sang this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to give you the words to it. There is a mouldy shack down Bintry Lane where we get bread and cheese three times a day. Eggs and bacon we don't see. We get sawdust in our tea and we are gradually <laughs> fading away. <laughs> so, Max, so after, yeah. so after 11 years at Dr. Bernardo's, then you turned yeah, out, home. you go down Bintry Lane, the boys all sing this farewell song to you, and then yeah. at this point i'm going to turn it over to clay because this begins your time in london and this begins yeah. your your career where you take your sketching and your painting skill and you take it to a whole new level so clay let me hand off the mic to you you know, max i'd like you to talk about the circus just for a bit because oh yes if i if i'm correct you really started your painting career when you painted I did. the circus wagons. Yeah, I did the, um, well, Dickie Tipperfield, um, I was an elephant groom, right? You know that. Like, can I just name my elephants? I love them so of much. Of course. Lelia, Lelia, Mary, Camilla, Susie, Dayla, Donna, Rani, Sita, May, Mabel, Janie, and Sally. I loved three years I was with those. But no, Dickie Tipperfield saw me drawing on my day off and painting. I was painting the wagon. He said, no, can you do some animals on the menagerie board for the zoo? I went, yeah. So I did all that. And he said, it's amazing. And then I did these the clown's faces on the sides of the truck. And I, I just traveled. And it, it, I got so sort of liked by the family. I had my own caravan. But I'm going to cut that because the circus was brilliant. Ray, I loved it. And I thought, I, I said to Dickie one day, Dickie, I've had enough. I want to go to London. So I headed off with about six pounds in my pocket because you don't earn a lot of money on the circus. 
And I got to, uh, I ended up in uh, Shepherd's Bush and I was dossing for a while and I was with all the old dossers and all that sort of thing. And I thought, I'm going to start painting again. And I, I couldn't afford new canvases. It was cheaper to buy old ones because they were about like 10 shillings and 5 shillings and half a crown. This is before decimal. And I started, I got, I got a little flat in um, Cricklewood and I started thinking, what can I do? And I saw some illustrations of the plants in Stanfield. So I thought, right, so I don't do exact copy, right? I'll, t- I'll put that little fishing boat there and I'll put the wharf on the other side. The old rough seas like the Turner, you know, with the boy in the water, the reflection, very r- romantic, you know? And I did that and I did three or four of them. But there is a secret. If you use oil paints, right, you know it takes hours and probably days to dry. But I met a guy that taught me the cracking method of how to crack the paintings. And he said, you know what, Max, do you know, do you, do you, if you want to, when you do a sky and you're doing a nice sky for one of your marine pictures or your winter things, use an undercoat, a house undercoat, door paint, mix that with your oil, put a hairdryer over it, and it's dry in about 25 minutes. That's why we could turn out so many, Ray, you know? You know so anyway, got to London with a uh, Portobello Road, and I play guitar, you know? So I took my guitar out, and I thought, oh, God, I only need two bloody songs. So so I had to keep moving on. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I did this for a few weeks, and then one day, I'll do, shall I do the craze story first? Yeah, tell us about the craze. Explain who the craze were. Well, Ronnie, Ronnie and Reggie Cray were, and Charlie, they were notorious gangsters in London. They were really, really the top. There were a lot of gangsters, like there was uh, Roy Shaw, there was the Richardsons and that. There was a lot of, in the 60s, I'm talking about 65, 67, 68. Well, Ronnie was gay, and if you've seen the film, he was gay. One day I was, I was painting, and I was standing there trying to sell the work, finish my two songs, and a guy went, came up to me, he went, hello, sir. He said, uh, do you do smudges, like, from photographs? I went, pardon? Do smudges? He said, like paintings. And I went, uh, yeah, I think I can. He said, if I go and get the photograph, could you do it for me? So he went back, went, he came back in about 20 minutes, and he went, there you are. I said, what's it? He said, I said, can you do it for next week? I went, yeah, I can do that. So I went back to Cricketwood. It was a portrait of a woman of about 50, probably, yeah, probably 50. So it was quite nice. I did it, put a nice frame around it. Took it back. He was there at Portobello Road at midday. And he went, do you do the smudge then, sir? I went, yes. He said, my friends are up the road here. So I walked up the road there into a pub called the Duke of Lonsdale. And I walk in there and who's standing there but Ronnie Cray and Reggie. And Frankie Fraser was in the corner, another gangster. And Ronnie comes over to me and he goes, you got the smudge then, son? He said, my boy said you've done it. I said, yeah, I have, Mr. Cray. He said, so this is, don't call me sir, right? Sit down. He said, let's have a look. Then he pulled it out of the bag. He went, Reggie, have a look at this. This is bloody marvellous, mate. This is bloody marvellous. I love it. I said, sit down. So I sat between, the, I was squeezed in the middle of the Cray brothers. I mean, they were notorious. I mean, they were killers. And he went, am I show you, son? I said, don't know. I was going, Ooh, and he went, and I was so nervous. Reggie comes out. He says, give him a two. Now, I thought he said two quid, but he gave me 200, Ray, which in 68 was like giving you two grand. And uh, But Ronnie put his hand on my knee and he went, and he's a good looking kid, isn't he? He said, I'll tell you what, why didn't you come and have tea with my mother in Valence Road on Sunday? He went, I went, I can't, Mr. Cray, I've got to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> I had to get out of that one. <laughs> and uh, because, yeah, anyway, that was that. And, uh, and then, oh, then afterwards, this is when I got into the forgery business. I went, I went out about two or three weeks, and then a guy, a very smart, 
well-dressed gentleman, dark hair, probably about 45, something like that. And he had one of those lovely coats on with a velvet collar, you know? Look, a real gentleman. He had a cane, I bought a cane to And he went, hello. So he said, uh, I like those pictures. He said, how much is that uh, shipping scene? I went, 150. He went, that's a bit cheap. He said, that's a good picture. I went, yeah. I said, where'd you get them from? I said, well, I'll just get them. He said, he said, I'll buy that off you for a one and a half. He said, where'd you get them? I said, I paint them. He went, you paint them? I went, yeah. He said, come and have a bit of lunch with me. And so I had lunch with him. He said, you know, we could really get into a business, you know, and we could do well. We're going to hit the auction rooms. He supplied the canvas, the providence, the labels to go on the back. If we found, we used to, we used to go into a, a, an art gallery and nick the labels, steam them off in the back and stick them on our frames. And we did all that sort of thing. And then, Ray, this was the bit I used to love. He said, Max, we're going to hit Portobello Road. No, we're going to hit Knotts Road today. I went, oh, yeah. He said, now, you're going to go, we're going to be as father and son. Now, we're going to do a rehearsal in, in your bed set, right? I went, okay. He said, now, I'm your dad, all right? I went, yeah, okay, dad. So remember, don't call me Sam, otherwise you'll blow it. So he said, now, what, I'll be the auctioneer, and you be the you be the, the, the punter. I'll go into, and this is how we used to do it. You'd go into the gallery, into the auction house, and you'd stand there, and the guy would be very smartly dressed, say, good morning, sir. He said, I've got some smudges in the car, so can you have a look for me? So he went, yes, I'll have a look. And we they, we used to put a lot of rubbish pictures and then throw in a goodie, like a, like an Albert Darby, Clutch uh, of Stanfield, or just one, and put it so that he could see it. And he'd look down and he'd say, that seems quite nice, that picture on the floor there. Oh, here, Dad, could you pick the picture up there? He said, I said, what was it about? He went, well, it's, um, it's, it's Albert Darby, Norwich School. Was it painted in Norwich, sir? No, 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 no. It's a Norwich school, marine art. I went, oh. And then Sammy would stop me and he'd go, you see, son, this gentleman knows his business. He's that good. And he sat there, right, so you studied. He said, yes. He said, yes, you do have to study. He said, see, son, you get educated like this. <laughs> he played him like a kipper. I mean, and then we put, we put it in the auction. And then we'd better wait for the preview day. Now, it's one of the most exciting days to stand next to your picture with your brochure, pretending that you're a potential buyer. And then the guy, and then lots of people come out saying, oh, nice marine here. I thought, what is it by? Herbert Darby. Oh, that sounds interesting. I might have a pop at that. And you'd keep an eye on him. You'd have that one. But you're thinking, how weird. The picture is only three weeks old behind you. It's under glass. It's looking to business because we do all the cracking, all the aging, and uh, well, we're very good at it. And so we used to come up into the auction, and uh, we, we'd, I'd be one side and Sammy would be the other, and we'd start ringing it. We'd be binning it up, bid it up. Hence, that's how we used to do it. That's how we, and we did it all over. Manchester, Canterbury, London. I hit, I hit the um, Bond Street for 60 grand for one Samuel Palmer, Samuel Palmer drawing. Now, um, Max, let me um, ask you about another very famous British forger, Tom Keating. I worked with him, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I met Keating in 66 because of the World Cup was going on. The football England and won the World Cup. I was in Club Row and I was looking for canvases like he was. And he was with his partner called Kelly, his girlfriend. And um, 
Anyway, he came. He argued it. Said no, I bought those. Said no. I said no. I said no. You, you didn't. They're mine. Anyway, and he said, "What do you want them for?" I said, "Oh, I do certain things." I didn't see him. Oh God, for at least ten, fifteen years, twelve years. Then I met him in Portobello Road, and he came up to my stall. I didn't have a stall. I had just a blanket against the railings there. And he went, "Hello." He said, uh, "I know who you are. You're you're Max, aren't you? The guy that fights all those things. Good stuff." He said, "Do you want to do some stuff for me?" And I went to a studio, and I, I'm going to be honest now, I didn't rate him at all. I didn't rate him. I didn't think he was that good. In fact, I want to tell you another story. When, when he came up to, in court, because don't forget, he was a very sick man. When, the, when he got interviewed after the court case, there was an artist that now I have been told in Canada, I think I told Jim the other day, there was an artist called Kriegoff, right, who did yes. painted Canadian Indians, trappers, right? Now, I did seven of those for an, a restaurant owner in Brighton, La Dolce Vita restaurant owned by Gabrielle. Now, what it is, when I didn't have any money, with an artist called John Bratby, we used to go there and say, Gabrielle, can we have some food on tick for a month? And you go, I'll do as a painting. I used to go and do, on an old canvas, which he supplied, I'd do a creek off. I'd do the trapper, Little Nell, you know, Moccasin Cellars. Now they found out, this guy, John, has telephoned and said, you did them. I said, Keating said he did them, but he didn't. He didn't do them. I did. I did. And, you know, Tom... As, as you know, Max, Tom Keating had a show on the BBC um, yeah, I know. basically demonstrated the brushstroke very uh, forged paint. He, I was there. I went to I did two of his shows. And... Um, he was doing a Samuel Palmer one day, a line drawing of a church. And uh, the producer said, uh, could you get a bit emotional? And it was all a big fake. He was going, he was going, getting sort of like, well, he's having a fit. I said, what's all that about then? He went, well, he, you know, he's going, oh, oh. I thought, well, come on. The spirit of, of, uh, of <laughs> Samuel Palmer was in him. But, uh, you know, yeah, he was okay. But I, I, it wasn't for me. I preferred working with Sammy, you know, and Sammy and I, we did really well. He was like my dad, you know. Oh, can I just show you, tell you the way to do the cracking of the paintings before I forget? Sure. Yes, you know? I'd love to hear that. Right, right. So, before the, the auctioneers are not silly. They're incredibly intelligent. They're very, they're very clever with it. They can suss things out straight. That's why. But we were so good at, we, it, it's like, well, these guys are peasants, right? you know, nothing about art. So it's got to be, they've got to be real. And because we're, we're like actors. Anyway, I, I met, no, I didn't get this from Tom Keating. I got it from a restorer. He said, you know what, Max? He said, you want to get some, uh, you want to get some like cracking, you know, the cracks on it. And he said, I said, how do you do it? He said, see over that pot he said it's called bee glue it's scotch glue you can buy that anywhere in a hardware shop it costs you about 50 pounds you go about six pound out and he said so what you do buy some of that put it in a pan cold water overnight it goes to a jelly on the stove right next morning it goes to a clear varnish varnish it over your pitcher take it to a a heated, which is electric fire, and circulate it, making sure the heat goes all over. You can actually hear it cracking. It, it, and then you look at it and say, yeah, but Sammy said, Sammy's going, bit more cracks in the sky there, Max, right? Okay. Then they think they're looking good. Then over to the tap, warm water that washes the beetle off because it's water based. Put it on the floor, empty a hoover on it, rub it all in, all the cracks are filled with dirt. 
old glass, old nails have been in the garden for six months, tap them in exactly where they came out from, under glass, old frame, down to the auction, and that was it. <laughs> so we used to do it. You know, and uh, we were turning out about five, probably five or six a month, you know. I did marines, I did Dutch winter scenes. We even did primitives. You know, probably, Ray, they, there was a great if, – if somebody, a farmer, had a um, – a prize pig or a prize cow. It used to be painted. He wanted a, a, a record of it. But he didn't use professionals, he used amateurs in the village. So they're very naive. But we did so well on those. A naive, a big, a, a pot belly black or a, or a sort of a, a sheep, you know, with, you know, but we're so good. We used to do those on old panel. Oh, you had a good, we, we were probably in quite a few, few bob actually every week. Anyway, there's me rattling on again. Let me ask you a question that I thought a lot about, Max, and um, maybe you're the one to answer it. We could name off very easily 10 famous forgers. And yeah. there's one thing about them that they all share in common. They are all men. There are no hmm. infamous female forgers. There isn't, no. no. And why is that? <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps I've never thought about that, right? <laughs> is it they're so good they haven't been caught yet? Is maybe Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe, yeah. You see, you know, got, what is, is this the German guy? Is it Belterish or Beltrach? Beltrachi. His name is Wolfgang Beltrachi. Oh, yeah, right. But he is, he's good. He's, he, look, the difference is my, I, I'm a good, I'm good at what I, I can fake, I can fake anything. I can paint anything. I mean, my Caravaggio that I sold to, to Jim's nephew, I like that. It's not a bad copy, to be honest, but it's on new canvas. But I, I know I went down the wrong road. It was, look, I'm hardly going to be a pop singer with known two songs, right? That was out. <laughs> that was finished. So, so I thought to myself, but I'm, I can do, I can do Caravaggio's, I can do, um, I can do Louis Wayne. I told you, did Louis Wayne's, you know Louis Wayne the Cats did a load of those. Do you know Louis Wayne? Oh yes. We used to do those on menus and things like that, and used to hit Brighton Lanes and all that sort of thing. We, Sammy, God bless him, because I didn't know him. My father was a painter, but he was a con man. He was a, he worked the race courses. Incidentally, I do race course pictures. But uh, no, but Sammy was, he was so good at it. You know, his, the providence he got with the paintings. And do you know what, Ray? That was the most exciting. <laughs> do you know in that interview they said, Max, do you have any regrets? Uh, well, not really. I said, there are some perks. I mean, I get a Christmas card from the fraud squad every year wishing I was back in Nick. That's what they do. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that's I, another story I love, Max, cars to do forgeries. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I got Nick. I did my first time in Nick, and I, I was painting um, – as soon as you're in prison, you're respected for who you are, your crime. If you're a if you're a beat women up, you know, children and thing, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're on a you know you're on a life sentence on that one. You'll get hounded. But when you know yeah, Max is in the game, and so they come to your cell and say, Max, can you get a picture of my Alsatian dog and do one of my little child? And those to get tobacco, you see. So, you know, I, I'm a good painter, but I'm not in the league with the German guy. Or, or De, is it De Hoy? De Hoy? There's another one called De Hoy or Hoyer. And, uh, but the German guy, Van Meegen, I mean, they were good, you know. But I'm not out to fall, but we made huge, good money 
good money, you know. But I'll tell you one thing. I saw one of my pictures in a big house in Arundel. That's a very posh hotel. And I thought, hello, that's mine up there. <laughs> and I said to the owner of the hotel, I said, where'd you get the picture from? <laughs> he said, it's nice. And I went, yeah, it's nice. He said, oh. I said, it must be worth a few bob. Yeah, it's about, about 50, 60 grand. And I said, oh, it looks a bit fresh. He went, no, 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 of course not. not sure. He said, are you saying it's not real? I went, oh, no, it looks, look, looks a business to me. Anyway, so. Very interesting. Tell us uh, again about your relationship with Sammy Cohen, because Sammy Cohen introduced you to the auction houses. And tell us a little bit about mm. Sammy Cohen, what motivated him and your, your relationship with him, because he's still alive, right? Yeah, he's still alive. Yeah, he's in a nursing home. Bless him. I'm going to see him actually um, on when on what this went uh, on Thursday. I'm going to go and see him Thursday. And uh, you know what? The last time I saw him, oh, I, let me tell you one little thing before I forget. I got nicked right because there was a guy, a German dealer called Otto. Now he was a runner. A runner is he used to take our pictures and flog them and try and get them through different rooms or galleries. Right now, I, well, I gave him two Samuel Palmers to sell. I said, don't sell them in the same town. Right. I said, make sure you do one Canterbury, one bit London or Croydon. And he went, yeah, no problem, Max, no problem. But what he did, he tried to sell them to the same gallery, Cook's Gallery. Now, Cook's Gallery sort of got suspicious. Somebody, I don't watch it, and they got nicked. Now, he grasped me up. He, he got clear, and he told them that Max is in Cricklewood, right? I got raided, right, And uh, in my little Cricklewood flat, and I've got two Samuel Palmers on the easel, and I couldn't explain them. So, and he went, what's these? He went, he said, I don't know, so I, I, I don't know, I don't seen those before. Have you, Sammy? He went, no, no, I don't know where they come from. We probably, because we, we buy and sell. He said, and they picked me up, took me down the station. I pleaded guilty because they got me banged of rights. So I, I got into Nick and I, I was in Winchester, Nick. And Sammy came in about, I, I got six months, by the way, six months. And I, and he came in to see me and he went, he went, now, I wasn't high risk, so we could sort of meet up and you could sort of shake hands and we were on the table. There was no separation like bars or anything. And he goes, uh, yeah, do you fancy doing me the work? What am I going to do work in here? What, send that by post? He went, no. He said, listen, Max, I've got some... Uh, I've got some little rolls of old paper that I nicked from the library. He used to go with his razor and nick the pieces out of old paper, like 1800s paper, you know, from the punch album. He'd roll them up, he'd put them up his sleeve, and he'd go, all right? I said, I said, what do you want of He said, can you do Samuel Palmer's? I went, yeah, okay. I said, do as many as you can. And I'll go, Governor, can I go back to myself? So, yeah, go on in. And I goes to go up there and put them in my Bible and flatten them. And the, the Governor was, he liked me, the Governor. Well, he owed, he's got two of my pictures anyway. And he came to me. For, it, it wasn't a search sale, so I didn't have those. And he went, hello, Max, how are you getting on? And I thought, my God, don't pick up that Bible. There's two Samuel Palmers in there. <laughs> <laughs> And I went, oh, I said, oh, careful with that Bible. That's my, my treasure. That's from my mum. It wasn't really. <laughs> so and then anyway, because uh, I wasn't, I, I was well liked there, you know. Uh, the, the screws liked me, they did, you know. And uh, I, I did paintings for the screws anyway, you know. Time coming, when, I, when Sammy turned up for another visit, he went, 
All right, so now, um, you know, he said, listen, how are you doing? Are you, are you you're finding it hard? I went, no, all right, doing it, all right. He said, now, listen, keep your head down, do your time, and you'll be out soon. He said, uh, how many you got then? I said, uh, I've got five. He went, good on that, good lad. So he used to sort of like, pretend to sort of shake my hand and hold my hand like, like a dad would, and you take the, the, the rolls of paper from under there and roll, they're all rolled up, up his sleeve, and, I, and he say, do you want a quick visit? And he go, oh, I better be off now, son. So yeah, goodbye. Cheers, Dad. God bless you, son. That's what we used to do. <laughs> we, that was my life. It's all a, so you see, Ray, I'm not the greatest forger in the world, but I'm pretty good at what I can do. I can I copy anything. So I'm not like your German guy or, or your Van Megan. I never went out to fool them. You know, I couldn't do them. You know, you, if you did a Lowry, it's so difficult to get it through because, you know, Ray, that you know it as, as, a, as, a, as an art expert, you know their technology is brilliant. They can, in my day, they didn't have all that. They did, they had them very, very, you know, maybe X-ray or whatever. But, you know, do you know what? White polish, we used to put them over white polish. Now, that stopped anything X-ray. You couldn't see anything because we used to varnish them with white polish. So, But today... They can get you bang to rights to bloody the paint when it was painted and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so so there you go, right. um, Max. You know, any number of famous forgers have, after being caught, started selling paintings under their own names. And uh, Tom Keating's an example of that. Bellatrice is an example of that. Dehori is another example, and they have been very successful. I assume. You have started to do that because painting Caravaggio's that you acknowledge are not real and selling them. No. Has that been successful for you? Yeah. But, um, people, Ray, I'll tell you what, people are buying, are buying me, if you know what I mean. They're buying my name. I, I did a Mensa, you know, Mensa, and, um, you know, Mensa, Mensa, and um, I did a four day lecture down in Southampton and I was sold out. And I sat there and I, I like, I love telling my story with my mother and all this sort of thing and the circus. And well, I, I even told them the story of um, what the, uh, you know, if you notice Chipperfield Circus, they never used to crap in the ring. Do you know why? Because we used to rake them out. It's in the book, isn't it? Isn't it, Jim? Yes, it is. It, yeah. Max, Max, tell me why, of course, Mensa is the high IQ organization. Yeah. So tell us, why did Mensa want you to want, want to interview you? What did they find fascinating about your well, story? Well, they loved it. They they couldn't believe they paid me enough for it. Um, because the, the Mensas have a whole weekend. They take over the whole hotel. And um, they had different rooms. There was one on and forensics. There was another talk on some artist. I can't remember who that was. Darwin and all that. And then it came to Max Artforge. And they all knew about my, and seen what I'm all about. And I, I had, I'm not bragging, but I had, I was packed out. But I just, I had all my paintings on show. I had uh, two, two Lowry's. Uh, a Coolidge, which I've sold, by the way, to a Mensa. I've got seven grand for that. A Coolidge is the dogs playing poker, yeah? You know, you yes. seen that one? Uh, sure. seen it? I sold that. And, and and I'll tell you what, Ray, it wasn't far off looking the business, you know. It looked pretty good. Anyway, but I, I just go into the stories. I love, I want to get out. I'm not the greatest art forger. I haven't fooled the world, but I made, a, I made it happy. I had great times with, you know, when Sam and I reminisce, bless him. We, we, it was exciting, right? You know, 
Oh, God, and, oh, and the women, that goes another thing as well. I mean, you know, that's another side of it. But I'm not a drinker, not violent, but I just loved, I loved, I loved meeting people. That's what I like now. You know, that's why when Jim said do this, I'm, I'd jump at it, you know. It also plugs the book, doesn't it, Ray? <laughs> yes, of <course>. <laughs> <laughs> Clay, in your study of your study of art and in particular your study of the Dutch forger Van Meegeren, do you have any any other observations for Max about his style and Van Meegeren because you built your book, The Forger's Forgery, of around Van Meegeren? Yes, interesting. Both of them had a technological breakthrough that made their forgeries reliable to be purchased. And Van Meegeren's breakthrough was that he took Bakelite plastic, an early mm. plastic on the market, he ground it up and put it in his paint and yeah. used that and then baked the paintings over very low heats for hours to produce the crackler that Max was talking about. And Max Ooh. simply updated that by using the yeah. glue. And yeah. interesting, both of them had this breakthrough that allowed them to continue with their art of forgery. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, because, yeah you, you know, Ray, the, the actual, um, the bee glue and the heat, they, it separates the paint. I mean, you could have fine cracks, you could have very large ones, but you know the the great thing is when you've got a when you like, put it on the floor and put your duster and empty your Hoover on it, and then the great thrill, the buzz, was when I put it. You know, it's under glass, and you look at it and you think you, you you're standing there next to a painting of whatever it might be, like a like Samuel not Samuel Palmer. Not, you know, we didn't copy from the book. We we I changed things around because there's no point doing Clarkson Stanfield of uh, shipping off the Brill because people say, well, I know that one. So I cleverly, I fooled the, well, can I say this? Um, a certain gallery in Bond Street, right, with a shipping scene. And, and uh, I'm not going to tell the name of it because they might be still alive, some of them. So, um, and it was a shipping scene. And he said, this is right. And his partner was going, oh, I don't know something about it. He said, and I told him it's a house clearance picture. And he paid me 32,000 grams for it. And I'd have, I'd have taken two grand for it. But <laughs> I plugged it. I kept it going. Uh-huh. And at 32 grand, uh, Sam and I walked out. Because I was better, you know, I was be- I was more presentable. Sammy looked a bit, he looked crooked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you look like the bloody mafia going in there. I'm sorry, but that's where, yeah, anyway, so. Clay and Max, this has been a fascinating conversation as we come up on our closing time for our podcast. Do you have any closing thoughts, Clay and Max, on this fascinating career and this fascinating area of art forgery? Who's that, me or Ray? Well, Max, you go right ahead. You go first, Max, and then Clay. I, I was asked to, when I did my interview at Lad Bible, can I just say one thing? I prefer this interview with you, Jim, than I do Lad Bible, because Lad Bible stifled me. They yes. didn't let me talk what I want to go about. But I, they said to me, do you have any regrets? I do not, really. I, I had poverty from a basement flat. I had so many stories about, you know, the Bernardos was tough. 
and my stepfather, my mum had a lover called Patrick. He beat me up. And that's that's why I ran away and joined a circus when I was 15 years old. But I, I have... I have loved the people I've met. I'd do it all over again, you know, and the people say, what about the con side of it? Well, you can say that about Keating or any of the forgers. You, you just do it. And it, I think most of them would go for either survival or money. I mean, anyway, that's me, but I would do it all over again. And the lovely thing, I've met people like you, Jim, and, and that's it. That's what I like about it. Anyway, that's me. And Clay? I'm just going to go and knock out, I'm just gonna go and knock out a Banksy before breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Clay, and Clay, what are your closing yeah, thoughts? It, it, it might, it, so it one of my thoughts here is it, this confirms one of my base conclusions about forgers. The world views forgers not as criminals, but kind of as clever rascals installed yeah. in a bit of sophomore tomfoolery. And having spent this wonderful hour with Max, he fits that mold completely. He's so charming and fun that people will forgive him his crimes. And that's true of every forger I've ever looked at. Their crimes are always excused. That's handy because I'm, I'm due in court next week with another forger. So can I tell him that? <laughs> Well, 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 on that way, very prominent gentleman in in America says, "It's just one of those things, mate." (laughs) On that note, I'd like to thank our two guests today, artist Max Brandrit and author Clay Small, for a fascinating dialogue about art replicas, copies, and forgeries. And Max, how can our listeners follow you? Well, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm on I'm on in all that uh, appreciation society, and but you know the and oh, well, they can you know, get the book. I mean the book's good, but it's written by a great guy, Tony Valentine. I I love him. He's a great a great guy, you know. But I'm sort of getting quite well known, sort of like all over. But I've got to say now, I okay, I've earned you know I get a few bob, you know. Um, I do little deals. I bought lovely Gibson guitar. I gave him a bank said that nobody wanted, so I've got a guitar for that. I couldn't even sell it, not for 50 quid. But I've got a lovely two grand guitar. Because everybody now, right, thinks that, well, he's getting on a bit now, so we might as well grab something of his now. But this has been fantastic. And I lo- this is the interviews I love, Jimmy. Thank you so much. And you, Ray. Well, and if I come over there to see you, I can only stay for six months in your house, Jim, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Clay, and Clay, how can our listeners follow up with you? It's the easiest way is on claysmall.com, and that has bits about yep. both of my books, where I speak, and articles that I've written in the past. My next time I speak, which is next week, to a women's group, you're going to be included in my speech, Max. <laughs> Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, is there any, any rich widows in there? Most that lot. Because do you know what? I, I've been going out with these grabber grannies over here, and they're just getting all in bloody cellar frames. I want, I want somebody that's walking properly, not assisted. Well, on that, on that note, gentlemen, I want to thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to thank I you. I really, really enjoyed it for both of you. Thank, God bless you both. Actually, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. And for my listeners, okay. today's episode is number 346. 
The San Francisco Experience has listeners in 65 countries and is carried on 19 platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, and Odyssey, America's second largest radio network. This has been the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco. And before you go, this podcast is brought to you by Brico. Brico is an environmentally conscious business promoting creative interaction with products angled towards children and children at heart of all ages. A portion of every purchase goes directly towards mitigating the effects of climate change. Get involved by visiting the website gobrico.com, that's G-O-B-R-I-C-K-O.com, and use the code JIM to save 15% at checkout. 